Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Economics, Pipeline vs. People Part 2. Last week, I had a look at the controversial Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion project, its history and the argument for expansion in light of the federal government's recent announcement to purchase the pipeline in Canada. If you haven't already listened, please go ahead and do so. Today, I will be exploring the arguments against the project, as well as the opportunity cost of the government spending. First, I want to correct an error I made in the last episode. Near the end of the podcast, I was talking about Kinder Morgan's original application to the National Energy Board. I said that this application was submitted in 2016, when it was actually submitted in 2013. The information in the application still holds true and is what was assessed to gain approval. I was also chatting to one of my friends who happens to work in the pipeline industry. I won't say where and I won't say who, but if you're listening, you know who you are. They pointed out that the 15,000 jobs creation could have also come from the number of job titles that will be needed. But so many of the same employees will shift between positions as the project takes place, which could also explain why the original figure presented by Kinder Morgan is so much lower than the one being used by supporters today. So thank you for that little tidbit, dear friend. All right, let's move along. I recommended in the last episode to listen to my first episode about externalities, as there are so many that apply to this podcast and this project. If you want to know more about externality theory, check out that episode where I go over the basics. Today, I'll be giving you examples of what they are in this context. Starting with the most obvious and most pressing reason why this pipeline should not be expanded. Climate change. The environment, its inhabitants, will be subject to some very negative production externalities if this goes ahead. So how will the pipeline expansion contribute to climate change? And remembering please that this is an economics podcast, not a science podcast, so forgive me and correct me if I say anything that is inaccurate or misleading. I appreciate constructive criticism. In 2016, the Ministry of Environment and Climate Change Canada undertook a review of related upstream greenhouse gas emissions estimates for the Trans Mountain Expansion Project. Upstream means all industrial activities from the moment the resource, in this case oil, is extracted. In general, this includes extraction, processing, handling and transportation. This does not include emissions from refining and end use for things like fuel, plastics, etc. In this review, it was forecast that the upstream emissions, including carbon dioxide, methane and nitrous oxide, associated with the expanded nominal capacity of the Transmounted Pipeline system, so including the existing line, could be between 21 and 26 megatons of carbon dioxide equivalent per year. When we remove the existing line, so forecasting now for only additional upstream emissions from the expansion, this figure drops to between 13 and 15 megatons per year. This is still a massive amount of emissions being released that we don't necessarily need further contributing to climate change. These are some seriously large numbers, but without a comparison, it can be pretty hard to understand what they actually mean. To put it into context, one megaton is equal to one million tons. So when we take the lowest number of forecast emissions, 13 megatons, we're talking 13 million tons of carbon dioxide equivalent released into the atmosphere every single year. So what is this equal to? Well, here are a few comparisons. Over 2.5 trillion passenger vehicles driven for one year, 
over 1.2 trillion homes energy for one year, 2.9 billion wind turbines running for a year. And consider here that an average wind turbine can power almost 332 households. So in this instance, we're looking at emissions comparative to over 992 billion households worth of energy coming from wind turbines. The world population last year was 7.6 billion. So we don't even need to do the math here to know how extremely excessive the emissions being released in this instance are. Now, something I do want to address, though, is that in 2016, Canada emitted 704 megatons of carbon dioxide equivalent. So when we're looking at the pipeline expansion, we're only looking at about 2% of all emissions, which is important to consider and important to note. Regardless, though, this is still a significant release and a huge increase, and the costs far outweigh the benefits as the world transitions to a green economy. It is absolutely certain that the overall negative impact on the environment and on society would be greater than the benefits earned by the expansion. Why is this so certain? Well, to begin, I have so far touched on only upstream emissions and not brought end-use emissions into the equation. Upstream emissions account for anywhere between 5 and 37% of fossil fuels overall emissions, according to the World Resources Institute. They have put together an awesome map of upstream and remaining life cycle emissions you can take a look at on the Cave Goblins website to give you some context and understanding of this from a global perspective. Now this, I think, is a critical piece of information to consider as it reminds us that while the oil may not necessarily be refined and burned in Canada, this will happen somewhere else. We already know that once this product leaves the shores of BC to go to exactly who, we don't know, but most likely the US, China, Japan and South Korea, it will be refined and used to create a variety of products such as petroleum, plastics, asphalts, chemicals and more, releasing more and more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, which we all share. This takes me to my very first episode where I explain the theory of externalities or the social costs in this type of scenario. This theory, or reality if you like, is why all of these findings are essential to the arguments against the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. Emitting greenhouse gases contributes to climate change. We know that climate change is real, and we know that the oil industry does not help to mitigate increasing global temperatures. Yes, some climate change is natural, but at least half of it can be attributed to human activity. If you're uncertain of this, please reach out to me. I would love to find out why. If I'm wrong, that is the best news I could possibly get. One of my go-to places for economic research and information is the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, or the OECD for short. They published a report in May last year titled Investing in Climate, Investing in Growth. Just a quick note, this organization has been around since 1961 and provide incredibly thorough, well-researched, credible information to promote policies that will improve the economic and social well-being of people around the world. So everything can be trusted in this case. In this report, it is estimated that inaction on climate change will lead to a loss in GDP, that's gross domestic product, on average across all G20 countries of 2% per year. Side note, G20 stands for the Global 20. These are the 20 largest economies measured by GDP in the world and includes Canada. Combined, the G20 account for 85% of global GDP and 80% of carbon dioxide emissions. 
Back on track. So while the economy might look like it is growing at an acceptable 2% per year, this is completely cancelled out by indirect losses associated with climate change, such as damage from natural disaster, changes to land use because of warmer climates, etc. Across the world, losses of up to 12 trillion US dollars will be suffered by 2050 if no action is taken. I have posted an awesome infographic that looks at the impacts of climate change under different temperature rising scenarios and therefore different policy scenarios if you're interested in seeing a little more. Further, the longer climate change is left unaddressed, the more expensive and more problematic the issue becomes. If a country decided to undertake greenhouse gas intensive projects, such as pipeline expansion, this would not only increase emissions, but make it more difficult and more costly to transition to renewable energy and a green economy as the obsolete and inefficient infrastructure will still exist. It is also far less effective to modify old technology into new compared to just building a new solution from the ground up, like a solar or wind farm, for example. Dollars aside, people will lose their homes, their families, their way of life, their own life for that matter. Thinking globally, a tiny investment, this trans-mountain pipeline expansion, equal to less than half a percent of GDP in Canada, is nowhere near worth the cost of the earth. As for that small investment, there are other places where this money, labour and capital can be spent. This is known as opportunity cost. The cost of a foregone opportunity and its gains when another alternative is chosen. This also includes time. It is essential to consider when analysing these types of projects, and even in your own life for that matter. If Canada instead took a more climate-friendly policy path and chose to invest in green technology as opposed to fossil fuels, they could add an additional 1% to output every year. Now this sounds small, but 1% of additional growth is substantial. Imagine how a loss of 1% would feel, for example. And especially in the world that we live in now, where developed countries such as Canada are kind of stagnating at the moment, meaning they're not experiencing huge growth, but they still have problems like unemployment and a high cost of living. Now, the OECD also forecasts that if you factor in the benefits of avoiding climate change impacts, like avoiding flooding, fire, storm damage, ocean acidification, loss of fish stocks, the list goes on. The net increase to GDP per G20 country, which includes Canada, would be nearly 5% to 2050. So short-term and long-term growth will prevail while the oil industry is forecast to decline. Additionally, climate-friendly technology is more energy efficient than the alternative and would lead to a fossil fuel saving of 1.7 trillion US dollars per year. Sounds better than losing trillions of dollars in unrecoverable ecosystems, right? Yes, that is right. Now, this is a direct quote from the OECD Secretary General, Angel Gurria, that pretty much puts this project on the back burner, never to resurface. There is no economic excuse for not acting on climate change, and the urgency to act is high. Let me repeat that. There is no economic excuse for not acting on climate change. We are finally at the point where a green investment will get a greater return and have a far more beneficial outcome for everybody, not just a small handful of shareholders of Kinder Morgan or TransCanada who will honestly still lose out indirectly via the negative externalities of the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. On average as well, 
The renewable energy industry employs about three times as many people as its fossil fuel alternative. In the US, green energy jobs are growing up to 15 times faster than the national average. So what could $4.5 billion be used for in Canada instead of nationalizing an oil pipeline? Well, for starters, in January this year, the government of Canada announced it will invest $700 million over the next five years to grow the clean tech industry, protect the environment and create jobs. This is part of their unprecedented $2.3 billion budget set aside for clean tech in the 2017 budget. So why not double it? Completely accelerate the clean tech industry and transition to a new growing world. The solo growth model, which I will cover in a future episode, is just an economic model that looks at growth that tells us actual growth can only be achieved with growth in new technology and knowledge that is innovative and increases a country's output capacity. Sure, a new pipeline might be innovative and might use new tech, but as we've just discussed, it also has a lot of unrecoverable costs attached to it. Even OPEC recognizes that energy markets are changing and will drive down the demand for oil over the long term. Prices right now are already volatile, so why even bother? On top of this, Global Affairs Canada found that while 87% of Canada's clean tech firms export their products or services with support from private and public funds, they are yet to fully capitalize on the growing market, which is forecast to be worth $3 trillion by 2020, so just in two years. This is a huge investment opportunity. Government investment and support for this industry also acts as a type of subsidy, encouraging positive production externalities to be created. So in the end, I am strongly against the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion project. I do not think that an average of 2,000 jobs per year is worth the direct and indirect costs, particularly when that investment could be diverted into something more efficient with a greater return like clean tech. The issue of climate change is pressing and an economy cannot actually grow without taking action anymore. Markets are changing, so why should Canada stay behind? Thanks for listening and I do know that I have barely even scratched the surface of the arguments against this project. Many of them are outside the scope of this podcast, but I recommend you reading up on the First Nations reason for opposing the project, as well as other legalities that I didn't cover. There is a lot of depth to this story. Again, thanks for listening to this episode, Pipeline vs. People Part 2. I'll be back next week with a short theory episode about income distribution and the Lorenz curve. You can follow me on Twitter at EveryEconomics or find the network at Cave Goblins across all social media platforms. If you're feeling a bit blue after this episode like I am, check out Comedy Zeitgeist by Doug Vandalay, released every Tuesday, a podcast where comedians face Doug's thorough research and deep dive into their careers. My name is Talia Murdoch and this has been Everything Economics. Bye.